Before I uh, get into my message, <clears throat> I just want to go to prayer. Um, Dr. Joe D'Agostino, um, the lead pastor at our Anderson First Church on our district, uh, he's my age, new pastor here about a year ago. Uh, he has been taken down yesterday to Indianapolis. He has bilateral pneumonia, COVID, and he is fighting for his life. And uh, the prayers are going out this morning all over our district and the Church of the Nazarene all over the general church, all over the world for uh, this pastor. He has young children, a beautiful wife, and a beautiful family. And uh, he is just fighting for his life. So let's pray. Our Father, we don't understand this. We go on with our lives and we do what we can, but then things happen. And it's just been a crazy time, Lord. And, uh, but we know that you are king. You're the same Jesus that stood on that boat and said, storm be still. So we know that you're king over our natural world. You're king over our spiritual world. You're king over our internal world. Lord, I know that you see and understand all things, physical and spiritual. They're so connected. Right now we pray for Joe. We pray for his family. He's struggling right now, Lord, and prayers are being lifted all over for this man that you would heal his body, touch his life, give his family hope today, Lord. Um, That's all we can do is just pray and put it in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Tony, and I am the lead pastor here at Gateway. If you're joining us online, I know a lot of you still do. Welcome. We're glad that you're online. Look forward to the day when you can come and be a part of us here. Glad to see everybody uh, that is here today. Uh, This is week two. You know we're two weeks away from an election, right? If if, If you didn't know that, what rock are you living under, right? I mean, you can't even go out of your door and not see what's happening around you. We're two weeks away from an election, and let me just say, I think things are getting pretty ugly. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're pretty bad, and I've never seen it like this. Some of you older, more gray folk have probably never seen it quite this bad. Uh, they tell us that politics got pretty bad, especially early in our country's history, that, you know, people would hit people with canes when they used to wa- wear, have canes, and all kinds of crazy stuff happened. Uh, but this year is this, just getting kind of, of crazy. But I think it's an appropriate time for this topic. This topic of, of politics and religion. Now, I can't go without speaking about religion in church. Uh, but I usually try to stay away from politics. I really do. I just, I think because politics divides us. And we talked about that in our first week. But today, I want to wrestle with a question that I asked you last week. And I want to kind of revisit that question, and I want to wrestle with it a little today. Um, Here's the question, and maybe you've thought about this this week, and I hope when you were watching the commercials or the debates or whatever else is going on, or Facebook or social media, uh, I highly encourage staying off that. But, you know, if you you were watching any of that, uh, maybe this crossed your mind, because I said it last week, but here's the question. Are you willing to let your faith, listen church, are we willing to let our faith be the filter to our politics? Or are we living our life the other way around? We're letting our politics filter 
our faith. And let me rephrase that. Are you willing to be Jesus followers first and Republicans and Democrats second? If you're independent or Green Party or communist or whatever you are, uh, I'm sorry I left you out of that. You know, we're kind of a two-party system, right? We probably shouldn't be, and we wouldn't be in this mess if we had more parties. But we are typically a two-party system. But be Jesus followers first and political parties second. Are we willing to follow Jesus? Now get this, this is hard because most of us, we don't answer this correctly. Are we willing to follow Jesus even when following Jesus will create space between me and my political camp, uh, my political party's platform. Think about that. I'm not saying this morning that we shouldn't be political. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a political opinion. I'm saying what Jesus commanded of us. Last week we talked about refusing to be divided. Refusing to allow something like politics to tear us apart. Something that is man-made, something that is temporary, a view that changes over time. Most of you don't have the same political views as you had 20, 30 years ago. You younger people who have these strong political views, trust me, they will change. Why would we give up something that is eternal... Our relationship with one another, the person next to me, why would I allow something that is temporary and that is always changing to divide us? Jesus commanded us to disagree politically. Well, he didn't really say that. But he kind of did. To love unconditionally. And to pray for unity. And this is what I said last week. This is what I've been going at. We can disagree politically, but we can also love unconditionally. And then we're always praying for unity. But here's the problem. When politics becomes my filter instead of my faith, here's what happens. We draw lines in the sand. And we go strongly to one side of the line or the other. People were always trying to get Jesus to choose sides, weren't they? The Pharisees, his own disciples. Remember the Pharisees would always come up to him and try to trap him? They'd ask him a question about taxes. Guess I didn't put that away right. They, they come to him and they ask him a question about taxes because they tried to trap him. They wanted him to choose sides. And Jesus simply said, render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God. And it stuck him. He didn't take a side. Marriage, the law, the temple, they were always trying to get Jesus to take sides. They were always drawing lines in the sand trying to put him down by getting him to choose one side or the other. The same is true today. Both political parties are convinced, listen, that Jesus would vote for them. You don't believe me? 
Listen to how the name of the Lord is being used all over the political landscape. They're all grabbing for God's name. You know, I used to think if I said, oh my God, sorry mom and dad, but they used to teach me that that was using the Lord's name in vain. No, it's not. Sorry. (laughs) You want to know what's using the Lord's name in vain is when you invoke the name of the Lord to create division and strife for your own political party's platform. God's for us. We're the party of God, guns, and we're the party of God because we love our neighbor. And so they invoke the name of the Lord. Even today, they're trying to convince us to support their platform. They even urge you to be a part of their party because God's on our side. And it's amazing how often Jesus agrees with me, right? It's amazing how often Jesus will agree with you when you interpret Jesus through your political filter. Republicans say, oh, Jesus, he's so red. You don't believe, I think this is true. I think Jesus is a Republican. I mean, all of his words are in red. (laughs) It's the red letter Bible. No, that was a joke. Don't repeat me on that. Don't cut that out and, you know. Democrats say, oh, he's so blue. He's for the less fortunate and the poor and the immigrant and the, we're that party. And, and there they go, drawing lines in the sand. Politica, politics has a way of drawing lines in the sand and demanding that you are either all in or not. Tony Evans has this incredible quote that I love. I want to share that with you. He says, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. So anytime I hear a political party try to invoke the name of God that somehow God is for them and not them, they're missing the point of Jesus King. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Jesus will always be at some level, listen to me, at some level at odds with the Caesars of this world. You're like, Caesar? What are you talking about? The seat of power, the seat of government, the seat of throneship. Whoever has the power, listen to me, Jesus will always be at odds with them. Because they're not the true king. He is. Jesus came to introduce a kingdom that is unlike any kingdom that the world had ever seen. A kingdom that is forever. A kingdom that will last beyond anybody and anything. A kingdom that is above and beyond whatever platform or political idea or viewpoint or worldview we have. It's a kingdom with a king who is over all things. Who knows all things. Perfect love, perfect justice will come out of this kingdom. Jesus came to introduce this kingdom Listen, God's kingdom, God's kingdom is our first priority, church. Our first priority. And God's kingdom 
will always be at odds with man's political platforms, no matter who they are. It is foolish for us to be divided over the political stuff and the political stuff going on today in our culture. Because our first priority is kingdom. I understand we're going to disagree politically. I've never ever let you know how I vote. A few of you that I'm close to, you probably pick up on my political leanings or whatever. But even to this day, I don't think I've ever told anyone how I vote. We all have differing, diverse views. And I'm hoping this morning that the template that I'm about to give you will help you navigate those differences. Okay? You say, what do you mean by that? I say, these views that we have, these politic, political views, these policies and disagreements that we have, there's a template on how we as Christians should live our life. And I pray that this template will help you love more deeply and be more connected even when you disagree politically. So the Apostle Paul, I can't think of anyone in Scripture who was a more diverse dude than Paul. Yeah, I call Paul a dude. He was quite the dude. This guy, he was a Roman citizen, which had all kinds of implications to that. He was a Jewish Pharisee, which doesn't even make sense that a Jewish Pharisee could also be a Roman citizen. And he was a Jesus follower. You talk about a diverse worldview, a diverse experience, a diverse way to look at the world. His calling, listen, Paul's calling was to actually go and win others who were nothing like him. Paul had a pattern for winning others. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today, verse 19 through 23. If you want to open up now, I'll have it up on the screens for you, but you can just hang on with me. He introduced, Paul introduces this helpful phrase in He said it in other places in his writings, but today in 1 Corinthians he uses this phrase, the law of Christ. The law of Christ. Sounds political, doesn't it? This was simply another way that Paul introduces this phrase. It's simply another way of talking about the new covenant that Jesus gave us the night before he was crucified. He told his disciples, who were all Jewish, Old Testament Jewish men, he said, listen, this is a new covenant. It's new. It's different. And what is this new covenant? It's this, to love one another as I have loved you. Pretty complicated, isn't it? I mean, when you go back into the Torah and you start to read all the things the Jewish people had to do to stay clean and all the things that they had to do to stay within their religion. You know, the, the circumcision alone, right, was a problem for a lot of people. But so many laws, so many things, so many rules that the Jewish people had come up with over 600 things that they had to avoid in order to simply keep a law. It's complicated. And Jesus comes and gives a new command, a new covenant, a new way of living in relationship with God and others. And he says this, I'm going to boil it all down for you. Love one another as I have loved 
you. This is the summary of all that Jesus taught and commanded us. Some say that the Apostle Paul, people try to read the scriptures, and sometimes I think they get, they, people come to me as a pastor and like, Pastor, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Am I sinning when I do this? Am I sinning when I say that? I can't find it in here. And they're treating it like the Torah. They're treating it like they're going to go to a list of ten things that they can and can't do. Well, Paul had all these commands. Yeah, but you have to understand, Paul wasn't giving a new command. You say, well, I don't understand. Paul, Paul would talk to the Galatians about how they should live and putting off sin and don't be envious and don't be jealous and don't do this and don't do that. Here's what, listen, some people say Paul was simply trying to explain to people to live out in the context that they were in this command. To love one another as I have loved you. When Paul wrote a list of things of do's and don'ts, he was simply saying you can't love your neighbor and do this. You can't love your husband and do this. You can't love your enemy and do this. He was simply in his writings trying to explain to us how we should live out in real life this command to love God and to love one another as I have loved you. Paul was flushing out this command in the life of the community. Community. Basically, Paul was saying this. All of the law of Christ is this. What does love require of me? Anytime you have a question about whether you're sinning or not, anytime you have a question about is this a sin or that a sin or is this a you have to ask yourself a question. What does love require of me? If I'm doing something that breaks the law of love, then I'm sinning. Then I'm sinning. This is what Paul's marching orders for the kingdom of God were. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here we go. Though I am free and belong to no one, he has no political affiliation at all. I have made myself, now listen, a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul is this amazing guy. He shows his priorities in life. He says, the kingdom is first in my life. I will even become a slave to everyone so that I might win someone. (laughs) How's your political talk going? It's really hard to win the very people you're offending, judging, name-calling, condescending. Paul is willing to give up an earthly right. Listen, he's willing to give up his own freedom and belonging to no one. He's willing to become a slave. (laughs) Righteous dude. This is hard. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to pretend that I got this all down. This is hard. Especially when I turn the TV on and I hear things I just hate or I turn the social media on and I'm like, that's just, ugh. 
And it goes against everything I believe. Do you think anyone ever did something against what Paul believed? But he says, I will become a slave to everyone if I might win someone. Paul, giving up his earthly rights so that he might win people over. Over to what? Over to the kingdom of God and Jesus, who is the king of that kingdom. Paul's faith informed his politics, not the other way around. 2 Corinthians 20, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 20 to 21. He said, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win, there's that word, the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Torah, the Old Covenant. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, he's talking about Gentiles now, people who didn't even have the law, they were just heathens, man. They were just out there. They knew nothing about God. He said, to those having the law, I become like one not having the law. Though I am not free from the God's law, He's saying, I, God's law has authority over me, but I'm under Christ's law as to win those not having the law. Paul is telling us that he's still under God's authority, but not the old way of keeping the law, but he is now under the new way, the Jesus way. To love one another as I have loved you. To give my life as though Christ gave his life on the cross for me. To love, go read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 of the, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount and you'll understand what it means to love as Jesus loved. Paul says, I'm not under all of that now. People would simply go crazy if they had, I mean, this is how Paul saw the world was amazing. It's an inspiration for all of us. Paul's saying something else is controlling me now. Love, perfected in my heart by what Christ has done and the Holy Spirit living in me. Love. Love for my enemy. Love for my political adversary. Love for my neighbor. Love for people who see the world differently. Love for the immigrant. Love for the poor. Love for the black, for the white, for the red, for the yellow, whatever color. Love. Paul's saying, I become a slave to everyone. If I might possibly win someone. Paul is under that law of Christ. He says it again in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. He says it this way. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Back to Corinthians. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might, say it with me, Save some. I do all this, he says, for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. The gospel, the good news, 
that God has loved us in Jesus Christ, that God no longer holds our sins against us, but has saved us through the cross of Christ and the resurrection three days later. Paul is telling us that this gospel compels us to fulfill this law of Christ, this law of love. When the concerns of others, listen to me, when the concerns of others concern me and I act on them, I'm fulfilling the law of Christ. This is going to get me in trouble. But it needs to be said. I do not advocate breaking the law. But listen, church, we must be concerned for the immigrant, the mother of the small children who's been abused and oppressed and pretty much put her whole life on the line to break the law and come across our border. I'm not getting into a political fight or a policy fight. I'm just saying your heart should be moved by that. Well, they can just stay down there. Well, that's not the law of Christ. If they can't come here, maybe we should go there. We should be concerned about the oppressed. We should be concerned about the children who are growing up in the drug-infested home where there's no dad or no mom. That could concern us. Politics aside, policy aside, the law of Christ should move us, compel us to love. When the concerns of others concern me, I am fulfilling the law of Christ. And here is the first step of our template. You've got to get this first. You've got to get this at the top. You have to get the law of Christ at the top of your political system. Why? Because as Jesus followers of all political persuasions, the law of Christ informs our shared ethic. Our shared conscience, if you will. And that's our second step to this phase. Informed conscience. The law of Christ, the law of love, to be concerned and compelled for those who are oppressed, for those who are poor, for those who are lost, for those who are broken, for those who are less fortunate in our world. That compels us with an informed conscience. What I mean by that is we should all be disturbed irritated and convicted by the same things. It bothers me when church folk or Christian folk, and not just my church, but some of the things that we can say about the less fortunate and the poor of our world. I'm not saying we should have a solution right away politically by law or policy or whatever it is i'm just simply saying that our informed conscience our conscience should be informed by the law of christ and the law of christ says our heart should be broken and moved to act on that we can't save the whole world but we could save one my wife and i have sponsored children for 
15 years. We should be moved by that in our world. Our informed conscience, we should be moved, we should be disturbed, irritated, and convicted by injustice, by disrespect. Listen, whether you're going to vote for him or not, or you love him or you hate him, I don't care. But when our president calls people's names and is disrespectful, it should concern us and irritate us. It really should. And when the other side lies and tries to make stuff up and think whatever it is, it should concern us. We don't make these decisions and fall on political sides based on this stuff. We are informed by, our law, by the law of Christ and we should all have the same conscious. Jesus would say, if it hurts people, it's bad. If it helps people, it's good. And we should look at it that way. So the law of Christ is what informs our conscience, our shared ethic as a people of God. So the pattern is this, the law of Christ, informed conscience. And let me give you a real world, world example of how the informed conscience comes about. Before Christ, it was self-evident. When I say self-evident, what I mean is God didn't reveal it. It wasn't revealed by Christ. It wasn't, Christ hadn't come to the earth yet. So it was self-evident. Now listen, that slavery was good. He said, oh, no, nobody's ever believed slavery's good. You're going to get a shock for this. Aristotle, one of the fathers in many of our political and philosophical world reads Aristotle, it was self-evident to Aristotle and the whole world at the time that slavery was good. As a matter of fact, they believed slavery was necessary. It was obvious and unquestioned in his day. Four centuries before Christ. Here's what Aristotle said. Some people should be owned by others, people for their own good. He said this, For that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary but expedient. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection, others for rule. He never met American, has he? Do you see what I'm saying? This is before Christ. His conscience was self-evident. Our conscience is not self-evident, but it is God-revealed. God has revealed to us that we are to look at the other as an image, image of the most holy God and love them. Post-Christ, was St. Augustine, who's informed conscious. In the 4th century after Christ, he said this, slavery is the result of sin. You see how the law of Christ changed their perspective, changed their mind, changed their conscience? When the law of Christ informs our individual or society's conscience, listen, things will change. When we start to live, not based off of a political view, but off of the law of Christ, things will change. This is why the church is so vital in our culture today. This is why we need the church. Our purpose is to live out the law of Christ, even in the political scene. The next step, 
The third part of the template is this. Knowledge and wisdom. Quickly, this is about accumulated knowledge. Wisdom from experience. So we have the law of Christ that informs our our conscious. And now we have knowledge and wisdom. We have history. We have we can read about things that worked and didn't work. We can understand that, you know, socialism. We can look in our history and our culture and see everybody that's tried it, it didn't work. We have that knowledge and we have that wisdom and understanding. Communism was oppressive. We know that. We see it actively right now in the communist China where Christians are underground because if they come above ground, they'll be thrown in prison. There are no freedoms. That's not good for people. And if it's not good for people, Jesus says it's bad. Knowledge and wisdom. It's about our capacity to gather and process information. You know, we live in the information age. More, we have more information than what we know what to do with. And that's the problem. Because wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge and information and actually make wise decisions with it. So, we come down to our fourth part of the template. The law of Christ informs our conscience. Knowledge and wisdom helps us make decisions. Now we get to policy, platform, and legislation. And here's the most, but here's the problem. Here's where most of us begin to disagree. (laughs) When I tell you the law of Christ, do you disagree with me? When I tell you about our informed conscience, that if it's bad for someone, then it's bad. If it's good for someone, it's good. We can all agree on that, right? We all have a sense of what's right and wrong. Knowledge and wisdom... We may interpret some of the knowledge. You see how as we start to go down, we start to get a little further apart. The problem is, church, is when we flip this and we let our policy platform and legislation, which is politics, inform the rest of it, then we get in trouble. Then we get in trouble. And we start to divide. Here's the deal. We draw lines in the sand And we begin to argue around policy, platform, and legislation. We're always going to have disagreements, even amongst Christians, on policy. I think we all, and this is what I look at the Democrats and I look at the Republicans and I think, don't we all want the same thing? Don't we all want this informed conscience? We all kind of have this same, we want people to succeed. We want people... The disagreement is how to get there. It's how to get there. And that's why we vote. That's why people go to the polls. You get to vote how you think is the best way to get to where we need to be. The problem is, folks, is that we have to be united even while we disagree. I think Christians who follow this template We can disagree politically, but love unconditionally each other. We want the same outcome, but we differ in our views. So there's this guy named Rufus Miles. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. It's called the Miles Law. Maybe you've heard of this. Any political science people here? Maybe you've heard of this. Maybe you haven't. Rufus Miles, and, and this is the problem. 
the policy and the platform, this is where we have to work harder, church. To work harder together. Not to come up with policy, but to work harder to get along. To work harder to be unified. To work harder to love one another. Miles' law, written by a guy named Rufus Miles. Rufus Miles was a federal official in Eisenhower, Kennedy, and the Johnson administrations. Anybody alive during the Eisenhower administration? That you remember Eisenhower? You are old over here, man. Uncle Mike, Aunt Madeline, you're old, right? Dad, yeah, you're old. Anybody remember the Kennedy? Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. This guy said this. Where you stand depends on where you sit. Pretty deep, right? Where you stand. What is he saying? Here's the meaning. Our context, sit. That's where we sit. Our context determines our perspective. That's where we stand. I'm going to flush this out for you. Our political views are not shaped in a vacuum. Listen, this is the first big step to recognizing and admitting the way forward in this political environment. It's a step toward unity in spite of political diversity. Political views and values are shaped by, listen, where we live, how we are raised, where we're educated, and if we were educated. That is where you sit. It's also determined by what we've been told what we've seen, what we've experienced, and what we've seen others experience. There's where we sit. Where we stand depends on where we sit. Miles' law empowers us. Listen, when you understand this, that people are different than you. People have different experiences than you. You don't know everything. Oh. You've not experienced, you have no idea what it's like to be in the inner city ghetto, a young black man trying to grow up in that environment. You have no idea. So stop trying to talk like you do. Ouch. I know. Pick yourself up. You have no idea. This is true. So this Miles Law actually allows us, it empowers us to open our hearts, to open our hands and our minds to the others in our life that are not like us. So when you put the template together, you get this. The law of Christ informs our conscience, and through knowledge and wisdom, we can develop policy, platform, and legislation It always begins with the law of Christ. So what do we do from here? How do we move forward? It's this. It's simple. You can write this down and you're going to think this is just too simple. But it is. It's simple. The first thing we need to do is just listen. There's a reason God gave you two ears and one mouth. We need to listen. Listen to people who don't experience the world the way that I do. The haves and the have-nots. The Christian versus the non-Christian. The old and the young. The black and the white. Listen to one another. Open your heart and your mind and your hands and first say, you know, this person across from me has a very different experience of life than I do. 
The next thing is learn. Be curious, not fear. Don't fear, but be curious. Be a pioneer. Now listen, don't get, off- don't get offended. I need you to venture into the unknown frontiers of your ignorance. Let me say that again. Pioneers, I need you to be a pioneer that ventures into the unknown frontiers of your ignorance. There's a lot of things about life that you just don't know. No matter how old you are or how much experience you have. That's the secret. People aren't like me. Be a student, not just a critic. Don't listen and learn. If we don't listen and learn, we will eventually discount everything that doesn't fit perfectly into our little flawed worldview. Man, it's quiet in here. I don't even get an amen from the amen corner over there on that one. We have these potentially flawed worldviews, and we just think everyone else in the world should see the world the way I do. What does that have anything to do with the law of Christ? Nothing. See, you can love one another and think differently, experience differently, be different. Christ unites us. (laughs) He brings us together. I can't tell you how... This is what the world is hungry for. A community of people so enthralled with this Jesus who brings us together with all these different worldviews, all these different sins, all these different struggles, all these different experiences in life. Jesus brings us together and we become a community of people that love one another but yet still disagree about things. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? Who doesn't want to belong to that? If we don't listen and learn, we'll eventually discount everything that doesn't fit into what we think it ought to be. We are better than this church. We're bigger than that. Your Republican brothers and sisters are not crazy. Your Democratic brothers and sisters are not crazy. A little, both of them. They've gone off the rails. Democrats and Republicans, they've all gone off the rails, right? They're simply taking a stand from where they sit. So we learn, listen, and we learn, and we love. Remember, as Jesus followers, we are first under the law of Christ. Love must be a priority. The, the you beside you is more precious than the God of your flawed political view. So Jesus died for this. He died for us while we were still sinners. How dare we burn a relationship for anyone from whom Christ died? So you might be thinking, Tony, that's just naive, man. I mean, come on. It's a week out from the election. It's do or die. You know, they keep telling me if so-and-so gets elected, it's the end of the world. We're all going to die, right? I mean, it's just like crazy fear peddling going on. You might be thinking, Tony, that's just naive. It's win or lose, man. Listen, it's Learn and love and listen. What is this stuff? What do we know? It's, it's get to the ground, knock on some doors, get your candidate, you know, elected. 
What are you thinking? It's time to crush the opposition, man. Don't be naive, Tony. Well, I want to remind you of something, and don't forever forget this truth. Once upon a time, there were a handful of Jesus followers with no power, no politics, no say, no voice, anything. They were crushed between an empire of Rome and a temple of the Pharisees. And Jesus stood around a fire and he said this, On you, I will build my church. On you, those of you that love one another, those of you that unite, those of you that come together, I'm going to build my church. And you want to know something? Today, the, the empires that existed years ago, they're gone. But we're still here. Rome, gone. We're still here. Caesar, he's just a footnote in a story about a king named Jesus. <laughs> And these men with no power, fearing for their lives, who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus said, on that, I'll build my church. And we are here. And he is doing it. He did it. And he's doing it. We have this incredible opportunity, an incredible responsibility, church, to show a divided world that is hating one another right now what it looks like to disagree politically, love unconditionally, and to pray for unity. Let's pray for unity. Would you stand with me this this morning? I want to close with our prayer that we prayed last week. You're going to see where it says, Leader, I'll do that. And then you pray. It's a prayer called to be one. God, we believe you have called us to unity, but often we have isolated ourselves from others. God, we believe you have called us to live together as one body. God, we believe you asked us to look, listen, and learn from others. God, we believe you asked us to accept and seek to understand all who are called by your name. God, we believe you call us to be one, even as you are one. God and creator of all humankind, your Son, Jesus Christ, prayed that your church might be one. Even as you, our God, are one, may you renew our minds and rekindle your love in our hearts so that by the power of the Spirit we might find the oneness that you intend for us. God, may we see in your oneness our need for unity. 
God, may we see in your threeness our need for community. And God, may we see in your creativity our need for diversity. God, may we see in yourself our need to love each other. Amen. And make us one. God bless you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.